Hello, my name is Philip Camilla, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Of all the people leading the charge to establish a new paradigm of consciousness in our world, Amikaswamy has to rank near, if not at the top of the list. He is a retired professor of theoretical physics, and he's the pioneer of something he calls science within consciousness. He's appeared in a number of, of important and really mind-opening films, including What the Bleep Do We Know, The Dalai Lama Renaissance, and The Quantum Activist. Since the publication of his seminal book, The Self-Aware Universe, in the early 1990s, Amit as I've said, has led the charge to integrate the findings of quantum physics into our worldview, into our institutions, and into our daily lives. His books have included, in addition to the self-aware universe, The Visionary Window, Physics of the Soul, The Quantum Doctor, Creative Evolution, Quantum Creativity, How Quantum Activism Can Save Civilization. In his brand new book, Hot Off the Presses, Quantum Economics, Unleashing the Power of an Economics of Consciousness, Amit shows how implementing the findings of quantum physics into our economic system may very well solve many of the world's economic woes. Now, for those who want to stretch their minds and take a different view of the world we live in, there's no better place to start with than one of Amit's books, and I'm very very happy to have him again as my guest. Amit, welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. Great to be on, on the show. Yeah, I've always it's always a pleasure having you, and I was very pleased uh, that you took on something here that is really combines two, two difficult subjects, which is quantum physics and economics. And I don't know which one's more difficult to understand. Uh, they're both, they're both challenging. And and so I want to I want to get into this a little bit. But um, before we begin, I like to I like to sort of uh, highlight a confusion a lot of people have uh, with the concept of materialism. And one illustration I will give is that during one of my own first interviews, when I was being interviewed, and I was talking about scientific materialism uh, I was in the the um, studio and during a break the the producers put on the song uh, I'm a material girl by Madonna and I said no that's not the right that's not the right song and I said well do you have the police song spirits living in a material world and so he put that on instead and that I think really shows the dichotomy uh, and, and confusion a lot of people have with the concept of materialism. And I mean, what you do in this book, I think, is really draw a very deep connection between the two. But let's talk first about what 
is scientific materialism. And then let's relate that to materialism in an economic sense, because this is something that's important you do in this book. So first of all, for those uh, who need a little refresher here, and since you're one of the world's experts on the topic, <laughs> what what is scientific materialism? Scientific materialism is a very simple idea. It is that um, everything, every phenomenon, every experience, everything is due to movement of matter. And material interaction is the cause for everything that we see that happens around us. So um, this is a very all-encompassing, all-encompassing, very simple philosophy. This is power. Matter, we can readily verify, yes, there are material objects. There's no doubt about it. And uh, then to posit that um, since these material objects, we know the laws, we know how to study it, experimentally accessible, um, almost to the highest energy that you can conceive of. So um, this seems to be a simple model. If we had that, we could predict and control virtually everything around us. So it's a very attractive model from that point of view. And that's its power. Uh, what is bad about it, of course, is that, um, first of all, it's not right. <laughs> Quantum <laughs> physics so yeah. conclusively yeah. that it's not right. That's one problem with it. <laughs> and, 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 but there is a second problem, too, which is important when you discuss social systems like economics and politics. Um, you know, the whole reason for creating our science in back uh, in the uh, 16th, 17th century um, the whole reason was to get out of the, um, the religious system that prevailed, the feudalistic system that prevailed in society with the support of religion and, of course, the kings and dukes and so forth, barons reigned everything. And uh, what was the problem with it? Uh, it's elitism. Very few people uh, reign, uh, control uh, the fate or working habits of society for the rest of us. And that went on for a long time, and the human fate, human life, was just miserable under that system. Elitism. Now, scientific materialism, uh, in a subtle way, creates a different kind of elitism, not an elitism of aristocrats uh, or oligarchy, religious oligarchy, but a new kind of elitism, elitism of those people who know the science, who know how to predict and control how scientific laws work in a certain situation. So it's a new high priesthood that has been built around places like Princeton, Harvard, or what have you, and um, they correspondingly constitute the government bureaucracies of um, various governments, uh, all the developed countries, economically developed countries. And uh, this new hierarchy is fighting the old hierarchy. In this country, the new hierarchy is Democrats, the old hierarchy is Republicans. And, and this fight um, goes on because both of these worldviews, religious and scientific materialism, are incomplete. And we have a new worldview in place for the last uh, two decades, namely quantum worldview, which finally has been understood. It is finally a fact that uh, there is two levels of reality, not just space and time, in which matter moves. Scientific material is explicitly wrong because the existence of this 
other level of reality, domain of potentiality, is now scientifically established. Experimental data supporting it. There is just no way you can refute that. And yet, scientists, bulk of the scientists, hold on to archaic Newtonian worldview, Newtonian science that that is the basis of uh, scientific materialism. And why do they do that? They do that because of this elitism. Uh, they don't want to lose their power. They don't want to lose their high priesthood. Just as the religious uh, people don't want to lose that either. They also hold on to their power. So our work is cut out for us. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I think that, that that's something that really really comes across in your book and in your book, Quantum Activism, um, because we, we are faced right now with this situation where it's becoming more and more evident that our modern scientific worldview is internally contradictory because yeah. because it, it's it, based I, upon it's still we're still basing much of it and medicine is a good example and we could, we could talk about that we're still basing most of it upon Newtonian mechanics yet the scientific community knows that that's not an accurate model and right. and but but then as you point out in your book and you and as you just said we have this situation where uh, the major uh, uh, universities, scientific institutions, research institutes are are em- are immersed in scientific materialism in this mechanical worldview, and so trying to change it is is really it's sort of like attacking an iron citadel. You know, it really it really seems entrenched. But but I'm like you, Amit. Uh, I'm not going to give up, <laughs> and so, and, no, and, and, and no. as you as you also point out, it helps to be right. On the economic front, I think it's important to have you talk a little bit about what you do in this book, which is drawing connections between Newtonian mechanics and let me call it the capitalistic worldview, because that's sort of sort of the model uh, that I think flows out of materialism. But, 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 but I think that this is one thing I think it's original that you do here is you draw this connection because a lot of people, for example, have heard of Adam Smith and the invisible hand of, of the economy. Uh, and so can you just maybe show or, or talk a little bit about the connection you, you've made between Newtonian mechanics and our current economic system. Yes, that okay. is, this is a very important issue. So yes. I would be a little long-winded, please don't mind. Okay. But um, the the point is that Adam Smith capitalism is a very wonderful, very cogent idea, very briefly statable. What is this idea? Some people are gifted to produce things. Some people need the results, the products of those productions. When we match gift and need, uh, can we produce a stable system? Uh, Adam Smith's great idea was that it, if you leave it up to people's selfish needs and motives and productions and gifts, all these things in a selfish way, people will do their own thing and you leave them alone. The, then the invisible 
hands of the free market, as he called it very loosely, will take care of things somehow. He didn't explain, nor can we explain it very much even today, but it, 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 it just so happens that Adam Smith's intuition was that this will establish the equilibrium between production and consumption and keep prices stable, even distributing resources into various sectors of the economy in an equitable fashion. So, is this, is this, uh, did this bear out? Yes, it actually did bear out fairly well, except for uh, periods of um, recession. Invariably, the economy would periodically slow down, and then um, it would lift up again. Uh, this is called bust and boom. So, bust, recession, and boom, inflation. Uh, the economy will heat up again. And again, recession, again, inflation. So, this sort of went on every few years or so. Um, and uh, so, in Adam Smith's philosophy, it's very important to see. So, part of it is like Newtonian physics. Newtonian physics says determinism, all movement is determined. Adam Smith seems to be saying, yes, if we leave it to the selfish ways that uh, gifted people operate and needy people operate, then uh, it will all work out. It's determined by some sort of a overall field of something. This is where materialists jump at it. They say it must be material interactions that keep things in equilibrium. All this is uh, fine and nice, but uh, come to this bust uh, and boom. What happens there? Uh, how do we get out of the bust and then um, how do we get out of the boom? How do we make a really steady state economics where people don't suffer so much? Because the bust was quite horrible for ordinary people. Right. They lost their jobs and so forth. So um, when you come to that, we recognize Adam Smith's recipe. Adam, Adam Smith does have a recipe for uh, coming out of the bust, which is people's creativity, their innovation. And this is where uh, Newtonian mechanics is not suggesting anything. Newtonian mechanics is machine mechanics. Uh, machines don't create. Um, so uh, we go back to the Newtonian picture and we find that, oh, but the worldview was not Newtonian at that point. In the 18th century, the worldview was what is called modernism. Newtonian for matter, but religious worldview prevailed for mind. So uh, mind had free will, and by the free will and creativity of innovative people, uh, the economy will come out of recession. This was Adam Smith's implicit assumption, and this has to be clearly understood. So Adam Smith is not Newtonian, is not following scientific materialism. It is strictly a modernist philosophy, modernism being this idea that mind and matter both are important. Right. And under that philosophy, uh, our best institutions that we even uphold today and everybody would not let go because they know they're valid and they're useful. Democracy, capitalism, and liberal education. These are the three main systems of this modernist philosophy. This has to be understood very clearly. So when scientific materialism came along, which is actually 20th century product, um, uh, then what happened was that this philosophy was majorly modified. Role of creativity was had to be given up because creativity doesn't exist for machines. How do we uh, come out of recession? The idea was supposed that we can control, we can predict and control consumer demand. There must be a theory of consumer behavior. 
so they forgot that consumers consumer behavior really is difficult to predict because humans are humans they have feelings and feelings determine what they want in a in a very major way and they have intuitions that too have some effect but people just ignored that the assumption was that it can all be put together in a mathematical theory and we can predict consumer behavior completely and so the theory went that if we can predict that then we can just uh, get out of recession through consumerism alone because we can uh, we can market things and by marketing techniques we can create new demand and uh, we can get out of recession in the meantime i must not forget one more thing uh, how about social good because people are only acting on their self interest social good is also included in adam smith's philosophy to some extent in the sense that he expected uh, the, that the that people will be moral people will follow their religious beliefs because mind is still there and religious beliefs are based on ethics so ethics is another way that adam smith um, were was implying that it is not all mechanical for him uh, in scientific materialism ethics doesn't exist either just as creativity doesn't have any room for it ethics doesn't have any room for it either so uh, these two things that giving up on creativity and ethics is what caused cause problem uh, but i was going to say in the meantime something happened depression in the 1930s and how to get out of depression we changed our economics with a major modification of adam smith uh, this is the contribution of john maynard keynes who suggested that we put social good explicitly in the economic model namely when recession occurs government intervenes this is a deviation from the free market philosophy but only temporarily government intervenes and creates public sector jobs gives unemployment insurance to people and a few other things were created later added on social security was created almost immediately in the 30s but um, medicare was added on later medicaid and a few things like that now obamacare these are all examples of creating a social safety net well you know one thing let me let me um pause here for a second this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion I'm happy to be speaking with Amika Swamy, the author of the brand new book, Quantum Economics, Unleashing the Power of an Economics of Consciousness. And we're talking about how even our economic system is going to have to eventually change to adopt to this new worldview of consciousness. And this is this is a a real topic. And Amit has done something that a lot of us should be paying attention to because in order to make this real Amit, in order to make this revolution, this change in paradigms that both of us and many others want to see, it's going to have to be real. And to yeah. make it to make it real, it's going to have to infiltrate our institutions and our economic system. And this is why this is so important. Now I I want to I want to put uh, my own little uh, spin here to see to make sure I'm following this because I do resonate a lot with what you're saying because I have always thought that there is a connection between materialism which is the worldview materialism being the worldview as you said earlier where all that exists are, is matter in motion 
and that this matter is independent of consciousness and determines what we are. That, that this worldview of materialism is related to a feature of an economic system called materialism, where people tend to put undue weight on materialistic objects. And they, it's, it, it tends towards a every man for himself worldview where we see people building their own castles, uh, their own buying islands, sort of building up their possessions to the detriment of the population as a whole. And, you know, and there's all sorts of, you know, negative ways we could, we could uh, structure or, or see materialism. And I'm, but, but to me, there has, there, there is a connection. Do you, first of all, do you think there is a connection between the worldview well, yeah. of materialism and, and the economic uh, or, or the, or the uh, financial concept of materialism? Well, as I said, the, the uh, materialism modified the original intent of the Adam Smith. Adam Smith was not following Newtonian materialism uh, entirely because mind was prevalent in the worldview that was that was the reigning worldview at that time. Modernism, mind and matter, both are valid philosophies. So Adam Smith had scope for ethics, scope for creativity in his theories. Yeah. Um, so we had a role for innovation, a role for human mind, and role for human ethics. This was taken away by scientific materialism because those two things don't belong. And this is why the Adam Smith economics underwent very major changes in the 20th century, namely uh, economics and mathematical, predict and control, which actually does not quite hold, unfortunately, and this is why we suffer from Great Recession, a big, a big, big reason. And the second thing is there is a fundamental flaw in getting this consumer demand get us out of recession. Fundamental flaw is that the material resources are finite. Eventually, we cannot just go on, have an infinitely expanding economy on the basis of consumer demand alone, because material um, dimension not only is finite, but also will run out of innovative ideas because there is no more to do with matter. We are already almost reaching that. Uh, that finality. The advancements of physics have shown that we have more or less reached the end of innovative spectrum, uh, even if you allowed for innovation in uh, scientific materialism. We have almost reached the scope of it because, you know, we have looked into the heart of matter. There is nothing new there. Yes. All we have is nuclear energy, and that was about it there is some talk about nanotechnology and we'll see but you know we're already having some examples of it but they won't be spectacular it is very clear that they don't be spectacular yeah yeah let me let me let me give you a real good i mean to me an example of this and sorry to interrupt you but i think this is important on the example being healthcare, where we you know we live in a world right now okay so i'm i'm a lawyer and so i understand medical malpractice I, I don't do it for a living but i understand how the threat of medical malpractice um influences the prescriptions that doctors give and the amount of health care that we have but what we're what we're seeing is that the medical profession is it is coming up with more and more expensive forms of treatment in the materialistic 
realm, such as proton therapy I just read about, uh, new drugs, treatments, uh, preventative uh, care, all these things which cost so much, the economy simply cannot, in my opinion, afford to give everybody the Cadillac version of healthcare in materialistic terms. That's it. To me, this right. this this is an example of what of, of of why you're of why the point you're making is so strong is that it, it and I wanted to give some sort of an example of what of this finite resources. You simply cannot give everybody the state of the art medical treatment in in the language of materialistic science. So I just wanted yeah, to. That is a very good point, Phil, and 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 also one needs to point out that because of two reasons, one is that indeed the, there is no cost effectiveness um, innovations. We are running out of innovations, you know, um, so treatment of something like cancer. Um, uh, but the other reason is that the underlying reason for disease is just not material, right? Because we have other experiences; those are valid experiences. They are non-physical, and this non-physical have to get into our science. Without the non-physical, we are stuck because you are looking for physical remedies of things which are caused by non-physical reasons, non-physical causes, right? Especially in healthcare, because, for example, cancer is not a you know people make the assumption that something physical is what is going wrong. But cancer and any other chronic disease, it's not the physical, which is the cause of the disease. It's actually the vital energies connected with life. Now, now scientific materialists don't like to talk about vital energy because for them, matter is everything. But unless you include vital energy, you cannot even understand what life is. This is where quantum physics is coming in and in a major way helping us how to understand things like life, how to understand things like consciousness, and showing that when we put the role of consciousness and vital energies into the equation of how we live, how we are, and in our social systems, then we get better results almost immediately. Yes. Like in this case, in the case of cancer treatment or any medical healthcare systems, if we include the vital energies, if we include the mental effects, uh, we just immediately start getting uh, better results and cheaper results. So we immediately bring the cost down. In fact, one of the things I have suggested in Chapter 1 of Quantum Economics is that uh, we talk about Medicare going out of business in a few years, but we can save Medicare very easily by just simply saying that Medicare will only apply um, to people who um, they will only guarantee to people assistance with uh, alternative health care, not with, um, uh, not with uh, expensive allopathic care. That part can be left to the free market. Why is that a viable approach? Because 75% of our chronic disease for the elderly, uh, that's where the money goes. And the, as you said, the doctors uh, prescribe more and more and more expensive treatments to no use. Because the, 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 whatever healing they produce, they don't last anyway and produce side effects and people get even sicker. So actually right. it is a negative effect, in fact. Right. Uh, immediate relief, but side effects take over and uh, really ends up into uh, serious pain, serious disorders. So instead, if we have the alternative medicine treatment, vital energy medicine, we fix up the vital body, 
then actually the relief is better, more permanent, more stable. Of course, the body will continue deteriorating, so nobody is saying that person will live indefinitely. Uh, that's built into the biology. We cannot live indefinitely, roughly about 100 years. But we can live with much more quality than it is under uh, scientific materialism treatment, uh, pharmaceuticals producing eventually much more disease than ease in the short run. So uh, this is one of the examples where we can get immediate relief by using the idea of uh, our alternative, alternative experiences, vital energy experiences, and, and quantum economics uh, thrives on that. The whole idea of quantum economics is to bring these alternative um, energies, uh, vital energy, mental energy, even archetypal intuitive energy into the field of economics, make products with those things, and then we can get out of the um, economic recession with the help of production in this new field and also solve the problems like healthcare that you were mentioning. Right, and this is, this is, so, this is so important, and I think what's going on right now, Amit, it's going slowly, but it's going, which is that we are starting to do a little bit better at putting this problem in terms of science. And as I said at the top of the show, you have been a leader in doing that because you are a scientist. And by that I mean we're trying to put, and I, I'm talking to, about myself here, you know, I'm trying, I always try to put this kind of discussion in something other than touchy-feely terms, in, in, such, in, in something other than what the, uh, what the, what the British call I think, woo-woo terms. Or, or, or the language of the new age. In other words, anchoring this into science, and the anchor, as you point out, is quantum physics. And I think it might help here, again, for some of those who, who may not be familiar with your work, for you to draw the connection between quantum physics and what some people call spirituality. Because this is very important, because you use the term vital energy, which sounds like a um, you know Eastern uh, concept. Of course, we know that it, that the concept has a long history in Europe as well uh, before materialism took over. But I think it might be helpful for for you to draw that connection that you do so well uh, with quantum theory and mysticism or or idealism spirituality i think that might be helpful yeah yes it would be helpful so um, i was saying quantum physics fundamentally uh, proves that scientific materialism is wrong so why is that because in quantum physics objects are possibilities for consciousness to choose from this is vital so where does consciousness and these possibilities reside this is where experimentally it has been established that there are two domains of reality one is space-time, familiar. Signals are required to communicate. But the other is this, this domain of potentiality where objects of possibility reside before they become actuality, before our experience. Experience makes possibility into actuality. Our choice makes possibility into actuality. Measurement, observation, that precipitates the choice. This is the idea. So two domains. One domain, signals are required. In the other domain, no signal is required. Instant communication. Which means that the other domain is really just one thing, one extended thing, and that is 
what consciousness is. It's an interconnectedness, instant interconnectedness without signal. We call it non-locality or quantum non-locality. This quantum non-locality, this, this connection, interconnection between us has many, many repercussions, and um, part of which, of course, is what we are talking about. It allows our consciousness to become the mediator of uh, various worlds of experiences from which our experiences come from. Like we can easily now see that there is a world of matter from which material experiences come from, which are, with which science, science is very familiar. But then uh, there is also a world of vital energies from which our feelings come from. There is a world of the mind from which our thinking comes from. And then there is a world of archetypes from which our intuitions come from. Archetypes are like love, beauty, those intangibles that we all know about, but very hard to make exact definitions of those things. But they are the values. They are what you call spirituality. They are the spiritual values that everybody knows is how important they are in our lives. Without them, we don't get satisfaction. So uh, in this way, quantum physics allows us to include or make a new science which not only is based on the material part of the experience, but all the four experiences that we have. This is the power. So quantum economics is suggesting that we not only include the material needs in the equation of gift and need, but also include this higher needs, needs for vital energy, needs for mental meaning, and needs for uh, spiritual values. Uh, this is this is familiar to many people in terms of Maslow's idea of hierarchy of needs. Maslow, in, even in the 1960s, already proposed that if we satisfy our material needs, then we'll have a hankering, we'll have a prerogative to satisfy our higher needs. And uh, this is exactly what I count on. In the, in the advanced economies of the world today, it's very clear that people are looking for higher needs. In the last recession, you know, many people were not taking. Jobs were available, um, but many people are not taking those jobs. They're holding off for more meaningful jobs. Even today, I just came from Spain. In Spain, people are not going into uh, low, meaningful jobs, uh, high-paying, low, but low-meaning those jobs, like plumbing. Instead, people are going for higher education and face unemployment. You know, of course, unemployment is 25%. They're unthinkable in in American terms, but still people are holding off. So there is a change in attitude of consumers and uh, labor force in the fact that we want more meaning in our life. And of course, feelings and intuitions are a little unfamiliar, but as soon as they become familiar under the ages of the new science, I think people will realize that vital energies are even more basic than uh, seeking meaning and spiritual values are equally important. And this is the connection with spirituality and economics, that uh, these things can be uh, deployed, can be exploited for economic advancement of our society, for the easy functioning of economics. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Amika Swami the author of many books, but it, but his new book is called Quantum Economics, Unleashing the Power of an Economics of Consciousness. And again, we're talking about how we really need to, to integrate the findings of quantum physics into not only the scientific classrooms and the medical uh, buildings, but also our economic system. And this, this is a 
this is a, a really important development here. Now, one of the one of the uh, points that I saw as or that I noticed as I was reading through your book is whether this is something that is going to come naturally uh, through a change in the paradigm and then the economic system changes or or whether whether uh, just by the force of events the economic system will change at the same time and and really let me let me try to be a little bit more clear on this the when you put consciousness as primary the way I understand this then all of a sudden the internal senses we have the energies the feelings the emotions you say the archetypes these become front and center we're no longer focused on little particles of matter outside of us and so this opens up a new world but it's also um, it's something that is natural to us it's natural for us to want to to love to grow to be inspired to have spiritual experiences and so really I think what you're talking about is connecting our economic system with who we really are it, it, yes 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 not only that um, the beauty of it is uh, one step ahead of you which is that by doing this by uh, consuming the higher needs we transform ourselves. We become more and more familiar with higher and then we want more and more of the higher and then that relaxes the demand on the material resources and allows us to reduce in the material dimension. Yes. You know, you go to a hotel in Europe and you find a sign that says reuse, recycle, and then reduce. Well, reuse and recycle we do easily. Well, most of us do that already. But reduce is very difficult because in the present mindset, we have been told that don't reduce because if you don't consume, we cannot get out of recession. Right. And this is the problem of uh, one of the big problems of economics today. But what what this additional um, avenue for consumption will do is that not only we have uh, consumption in this extra domain scientific economic stable but also as we consume in this domain our demand for material consumption actually goes down as Maslow anticipated and uh, therefore we can start reducing which we need to do in order to solve the global warming problem otherwise the consumption of materials always uh, gets us into heating up of the environment and that is of course is something we cannot we cannot continue so in this way, scientific uh, this uh, this new quantum economics really uh, serves us well in all the dimensions of our difficulties. It sort of sounds like downsizing the material world and upsizing the the spiritual world. We sort of it's exactly. a it's a downsizing, and and that's it's something. It's a downsizing of the material <laughs> consumption and upsizing, just as you said. That was a beautiful introduction to. Yes, we, we get into it, we get into consciousness, we get into all of our experiences, and that's what we really value. Today, under scientific materialism, we shortchange our internal demands, we shortchange our internal experiences, and put everything on matter. So if, we, if, if we are dissatisfied, we think a trip to the department store and buying some new clothes, 
will make us satisfied again. But yeah. does it? Yes, it does for a little while, but then we are unsatisfied again. Yeah, and that, of course, is what the material producer counts on for ever increasing demand. But then resources are deployed, resources are exhausted, and so we get in trouble again. So, you know, this just is not a solution to the problem yeah. of steady-state economy. Right. But bringing the subtle, bringing the mental, vital, supramental, these archetypes, that does it beautifully. Well, there's something here that I want to I wanna, uh, sort of underline that sort of also highlights the role of materialism or the, or the overemphasis on materialism in solving our problems. I mean, we've all heard, you know, we've all heard the famous, you know, the famous Beatles song, Money Can't Buy Love. And that's sort of the mantra for how material possessions can't get you to happiness. But there's also something that also comes to play in so many other things, whether it's buying more shoes or it's as something that just, uh, just that I, I've had experience with a friend of mine, his wife has cancer and they are they're continuing to up the dosage of the chemotherapy and whatever the I guess there's a pill now and they continue to up the dose as if increasing the dose is going to cure the underlying ailment. And, and this this is the problem. This is one of the problems I think I'm with materialism. We think that piling up the materialistic, you know, remedy is really the way to go. You know, you hit it harder instead yeah. instead of instead of finding the true source, it, yeah. which is under which is this underlying. You know, I'm I'm a I'm an advocate of the old misalignment of the soul and the spirit, or the body and the spirit, or the subtle. I mean, it, it goes by all sorts of different names, but I am right on board with this. Um, you got to heal the spirit be- to, in order to heal the body. But this is what's happening. Um, I think where the the public has been sold this bill of goods that the only way to fix things is to get more of something. Yes, and you know, in cases like cancer that you yeah. put out, it's really a shame because you know the, our new science is, impl- is is producing the results that lack of love. Uh, majorly contributes to um, the non-functioning, malfunctioning of the immune system, which um, even the medical doctors agree that that's a major factor in uh, having cancer. So much better is to is the approach of love, and um, uh, see if we can we can heal cancer with love. And of course, the question is, how do we find love? Money cannot buy love. Closes us. Closes us in that avenue. But the new economics says that no, money can buy love, because today it just so happens we can produce uh, love makers. We can produce people who have love built into them, uh, like uh, Mother Teresa was and Gandhi was. We, we can actually produce these people because we understand what produced them, what they did in order to be what they were, this transformation, how that takes place. In the, in the human being, we understand these things now. We understand that how the chakras have to become aligned, and that alignment of the chakras gives you an identity with the heart uh, chakra in the in the physical body, and uh, this is what makes people loving. So, with the clear understanding of the method that we use, creativity, with the clear understanding of what has to be accomplished, we can actually produce uh, in large scale 
with a little bit of effort, with a little bit of entrepreneurial prerogative, we can produce large scale such loving people and then cancer patients can be given love. Uh, they can buy it. They can buy it uh, at a much smaller expense than the pharmaceutical drugs, I'm sure. So in yeah. this way, um, even practical things like like cancer can be better treated with quantum economic ideas. And and for those who think this is some kind of bizarre idea, I would refer you to studies on the placebo effect, and particularly the early studies, um, I think by Beecher, who and and the studies have shown the same have shown the same thing, which that a doctor's quote unquote bedside manner has a lot to do with someone being healed. The bedside manner. Yeah. What is bedside manner? The bedside manner is when the doctor shows that they care, that they care, that their heart is open, that they're not just coming in like a robot, you know, pumping someone uh, with with drugs or or um, applying an ointment or or some kind of test, but they care. And this is this is something that for those who think that the only way to cure is through taking bigger pills. I, I think just reading up on the placebo effect, and you yourself, um, Amit, wrote the book Quantum Doctor, which which we'll have to have another show to talk about because it's such an important concept. But this sort of wraps back to what you said earlier, that in a more enlightened economic system, we will be emphasizing these alternative healing methods, the healing the spirit, the vital energies first, first. Mm. And by doing that, you have a, an infinite source of healing. And number two, it's a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> it's a whole <laughs> lot cheaper. And so and so it's just like, it's just like, why don't you use, it's sort of like, why don't you use the energy you already have <laughs> before you start buying some, some, some you know, something else but now um before you know i want to make sure we get radical here at the end uh, because let's face it um it we're, we're you know the two of us are sort of on the far end here of of um of some of these concepts but i want to make sure we get radical and by radical i mean uh changing the system i mean you you make um a number of points in your book about the stranglehold that materialism has on the institutions of higher learning and then there is the you know then that leads to the question of of how do we actually change the system and this is a very difficult question but but what what is your perspective having having dealt with this now for several decades uh, uh, what do you think is well, going to um, happen? So my my perspective is, is is very simple, but it has to be done step by step. Okay. First of all, the old generation um, is much more oriented towards scientific materialism than the new generation. New generation has suffered because uh, because of scientific materialism, and the intelligent um, people, creative people among the new generation, is very aware of the shortcomings, and they're just waiting for their turn. So as soon as the old generation retires from these uh, higher institutions like Harvard, Princeton, and what have you, uh, then the new generation will take over. And they are into meaning processing. They know the importance of meaning and values. They know about love. 
so um, that's when the paradigm is going to shift. Yeah. Because you cannot suppress intelligence for very long. You cannot be stupid for too long. Yeah. Um, so uh, as that happens, the society starts changing, and immediately at the same time, you know, synchronously at the same time, the vital energy technologies will become uh, very prevalent because they are easy to construct. We can today, believe it or not, you know, um, take the case of the rose. It has romance. It also has a beautiful fragrance. We know how to take the fragrance out, molecules, and we do that. But the molecules, the perfume, doesn't bring romance in the heart of any person. How to take the romance out of a rose and put that back in into the perfume? This is where major breakthrough has taken place. We know how to do that. And therefore, we can really do a vitalized perfume, a romantic perfume, and and prove that something there is something here. We can by we can get an instrument to prove that yes, this has some vital energy that is extra that the, the molecules alone do not have. So in this way, we're now ready to go into business with a whole bunch of vital energy technology. If the details are all in quantum economics, that's the whole list. I mean, it will, it will be billions and billions, hundreds, and hundreds of billion dollars of economy you can create by uh, vital energy technology. So uh, the combination, paradigm shift in sciences in the academy and the um, development of vital energy will um, get into a situation where quantum economics will be accepted. And once that is accepted, the rest of it will be implemented too. And part of it is that the higher education system, the churches, religious system, they have monopoly over our mind and over our spiritual values. Those monopolies will be broken down. Because yeah. one thing that happens in capitalism, once we make institutions subject to capitalism, uh, monopoly has no room uh, to stay. Monopoly got to be broken down. So they will be broken down. And the methods are very simple. Everybody knows how to break down a monopoly. So we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. And those are the important steps. And after that, it will develop a momentum as soon as you find out that boom and bust cycle uh, is solved under uh, this new economics. There will be additional in- incentive to get the new economics on, on its way. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds that sounds um, pretty realistic. I I'm fundamentally an advocate i think was it wigner um or or max planck one of those guys said that uh science progresses funeral by funeral uh where you know sometimes if you can't beat him you have to outlive him the the bottom line is that i think retirement uh of the old generation is really probably going to be the way it's going to have to happen the only the only other thing uh Amit, is that if people like stephen hawking stephen weinberg richard dawkins if one of these or more of these guys have some kind of spiritual epiphany you know <laughs> where they were all of a sudden and, and you know what's so strange about it is that um and i've mentioned this before on my show but um the author, the the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, Michael Shermer, actually did have sort of an epiphany that was published in Scientific American about a year ago or so, where he had an amazing synchronistical experience. You know, Michael Shermer is one of the hardcore materialists, and he had a, an amazing synchronicity where anybody else would say, "Well, something's going on," and it did affect him. But he's still. He's still a materialist, and so I tend to think it's going to be—it's going to have to be sort of a, a change in the pecking order, 
and a, a, a uh, sort of a substitution of the thought leaders. But it's just like anything else. I'm a, I, I have a lot of faith in truth and that the truth remains standing. And, and like you, I think that our job here is to accelerate this so we can be around when it happens. Uh, that's that's yeah. that's that's sort of the that's sort of the key thing because frankly I don't know what what is going to work now. Well, and actually, you know, our our, our methods are already working. You know, instead yeah. of taking the airy-fairy approach of the new edges, what we have done is to work slowly but surely with very little acclaim, most mostly without attracting attention, so that there is no uh, too much premature attack on our work. But we have developed such a groundswell now that there is traction. The new view is getting traction. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. People talk about quantum incessantly. This much awareness of quantum has occurred already. I have started a movement called Quantum Activism, which is getting traction. With Dr. Jim Alvino, I already have a quantum economics coaching venture started where we are uh, inviting businesses to go through these innovative changes that quantum economics is inviting them to go through, and we guarantee that your productivity will go up because we'll start with improving the vital energy of the space that you have for work, and that is just a start. And then we'll uh, let you do other things that will improve productivity of your business in no time, and hopefully you will become interested in vital energy technology and and start quantum economics in a major scale. Well, this is something that folks uh, uh, the more i think about it is that this is going to be a major revolution this is not going to be like um even general relativity or or the earth is not really flat or newtonian revolution this is going to be a major a major shift and i and that's why it's it's going to take a while uh, we have such a complicated intricate network of ideas and thought leaders and institutions but it's something that is well on its way I mean when you when you published a self-aware universe back in the 90s there weren't a lot of books like yours uh, Amit that was that was a very original original book I mean if there was something similar it would have probably been uh, by Aurobindo or Del Jardine, or you know, one of the Western idealist philosophers, um, and there, there, you know, and there was a couple of books, obviously by Fred Allen Wolf and others. But the point is, is that right now there are hundreds of books yeah. advance, advancing the same thing. You know, what yeah. you've done, what you've done, is develop the idea, and uh, and as I said at the top of the show, you know, you clearly are. Are a leader, and I'm I'm always encouraged. Sort of like an army with different soldiers, uh, all doing different things, different you know the 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 uh, all, all different dimensions, all different areas. We're attacking the same thing, so that's promising. Um, I I want to. Uh, we have a couple minutes here. That that's something important. I mean, you there's there's so many important things in your book, but one of the important things is the way that. Uh, modern science and this is the materialist as you point out have co-opted the mind of god concept <laughs> that i think this this is this is very very important being it's something that people for sort of get get uh fooled by that 
we we basically have hardcore atheists such as Stephen Hawking, Stephen Weinberg, Richard Dawkins, who talk about Dawkins talks about the magic of reality. Uh, Hawking mentioned the mind of God in the uh, understanding the mind of God in the brief history of time. And Paul Davies, who actually is one of my favorite authors, but Paul Davies has a book called The Mind of God. So I'd like you just to talk about why that's why that's wrong and what 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 we could do about that. I mean, it, it's something that the American public is fooled about. So. Yeah, I know, but this is partly due to the conspiracy of the media. I yeah. mean, it's almost like a conspiracy because there's no other word for it. Yeah. Um, media found that the you know the bandwagon is quite um, uh, you know uh, interesting, so they got into the bandwagon prematurely. And this has been very unfortunate. Um, yeah. The media, you know, the conservatives, the Fox News, for example, complains about liberal media. This is the liberal media they talk about. You know, the word, word liberal um, is practically identical now with scientific materialism. The yeah. old liberalism is gone. Old liberalism exists only with a few leaders like Elizabeth Warren. Uh, with those exceptions, the uh, New Democratic Party are all believers of scientific materialism. This is the new liberalism. And this uh, this mindset set, uh, is, is what uh, promotes this uh, co-opting uh, old words and making it appear like scientific materialism also has mysterium. See, people need mystery. Yeah. They don't care what you call God, so long as there is a God. The new god of these scientists is the god of outer space, yeah, god yeah, of yeah. Um, high spending, making huge telescopes so that we can uh, create mythologies of new planets. We'll find them. Where? How will we ever go to? I mean, you know, a, a, any yeah. sensible person can see that this is pure imagination. Right. These thousands and sometimes millions, sometimes even billions of dollars that we invest in things like NASA and things like um, high energy physics. Is, is totally misleading because it's, it's now a dead end, diminishing returns. Nothing is being produced that we ever can use, even conceivably. Um, of course, this is not entirely true. It, it is true that the same high-energy cosmology has produced the idea of dark matter and dark energy, which may have some use, and, and it is philosophically very important to know that visual matter is not everything. So, yes, there is always something that that science produces. I'm not uh, completely against pursuing science, but we should have some balance. We should have some balance between how much we spend on research on outer space and how much we spend research on inner space. We need to invest in consciousness badly. We need uh, departments of consciousness, not materially oriented neurophysiology departments, that Department of Consciousness Studies without bias, without this material bias. This is what we badly need in the academy. This is what we badly need in the direction media is going. This is what we badly need in economics, politics, practically everywhere. Healthcare that you mentioned so cogently. This is where our focus has to be. Our consciousness is the most important problem right now to get us to explore, to find out what is in our potentiality and day by day we invest in it and the more we do it the more we'll fulfill the human potential yeah that's that's really uh, well put and I want to emphasize here at the end that this is not 
just an academic discussion. And that's really the point, I think, Ahmed, of your book. This is not just uh, an abstract discussion about, well, should we, should we believe in scientific materialism and what's the you know and what's the best uh, worldview and and then and then go back to our daily lives our default mechanism right now is materialism that's the way we've been brought up that's what everyone talks about on the TV which is this worldview that only matter is real and I think that in order to change the world for the better we really do need to shift to this consciousness-based approach, and we could see here, as Ahmet talks about in his book, Quantum Economics, how we could solve a lot of our economic problems by going down this route, and this is really where I think we're going to start seeing some of the power of this, of this worldview when we see it real in our own lives. Now, Ahmet, once again, I'd like to thank you for, for being with us, as always. Uh, why don't you just uh, quickly tell folks um, about your website and any any uh, way to get a hold of you if they want to find out more about what you're doing. Thank you, Phil. Yes, my website is amitgoswami.org, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. Uh, you can reach me. There's an email there, info at amitgoswami.org, and if you write to this email, I try to answer all of my fan mail unless the questioner is confused or convoluted. Well, but I really, really like to hear from you. Yeah. Communication channel is very important to me. Quantum well, well, activism is very important to me. Well, so well, and remember that at at the end, the activism is the important thing because changing the world is really what we need to do. In, in ending, I just want to leave two things here. One of them... Um, is is the mini synchronicity realm on it as i was uh, preparing for the show uh i there was a alert in my phone uh that may be the title of your new book it just came up and it, it said quantum learning there's uh which which may be the title of your new book uh you know so maybe that's the inspiration it just it just happened to come up as i was preparing as I was preparing for the show, like five that's, minutes, that's like five, five minutes. Five minutes before, before the show. It's one of those Yahoo kind of uh, pop-ups. And and lastly, on a more serious note, I'm good. I'm just going to, um, from your book, you have this this lovely quote here from Wendell Berry, that's I guess quoted in Eisenstein, and it says here, "We must change our lives." I'm sorry, we have lived our lives by the assumption that what is good for us would be good for the world. We have been wrong. We must change our lives so that it will be possible to live by the contrary assumption that what is good for the world will be good for us. And I think that really says it all. That's what, to me, the this quantum worldview is about, this conscious worldview is about. So once again, Ahmed, thank you very much. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.